if your net worth is under a million bucks, you can't be making bad decisions like buying a house. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. And crypto, stock market, everything, Tesla, blah, blah. Everyone wants to know where to put their money. And my guest today is going to tell you exactly where to put their money. He's a podcaster and real estate investor, owns 4,500, that's 4,500 rental units, and is the leader of the Hawaii Deal Pipeline Club. I hope I said that right. And he's an anti-guru. We're going to talk about what that means in top 50 in investing podcasts, you know, Amazon bestseller, writer for Forbes. Lane, please give me your last name, my man. I'm not going to attempt that at the moment. <laughs> Welcome it doesn't to the show, matter. Simplepassivecashflow.com. That's all that Simple really Passivecashflow.com. My guest is Lane today. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me. We're going to drop some uh, knowledge bombs and folks and I hope so. I we always do on the show, and I know you're going to bring it today too, man, because uh, your simple passive cash flow is from real estate, yeah? Yeah. I mean, uh, so my story kind of started after I went to college, uh, became an engineer for some strange reason. I don't know why. <laughs> um, must have <laughs> been great. good at math and well, science I when I was nine or 10. I'm Asian, so what else is we good for, right? To do something math and science-y. Um, I never really liked my job. Um, and again, followed this like dogma of like buying a house to live in. Like, everybody says to buy a house to live in. So that's what I did along with your retirement accounts, 401ks, which I don't really believe in. Um, but I was never home living in that big house that I bought and I just started to rent it out. And the monthly rents were 2200 bucks a month. The mortgage is 1600 and to young 20 something year old kid, that was a lot of beer money every month. That was simple passive cash flow. And that's where this all began. I realized that if I kept doing this again and again, I'd be able to quit my day job. And yeah, I eventually did. So let's talk about how people can do that. Dude, that's awesome. We were talking a little bit before the show about the, the audience, you know, and I was talking, you know, 20 year olds, for example, you know, I wasn't thinking about this when I was 20. It, exactly what you were thinking is, hey, where do I put my money right now? Where do I want to be 20 years from now financially? Those weren't thoughts because it, when I was 20, it was all like, okay, how do I just go work a job? Just like you said, how do I get to the point to where I can buy a house? Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? <laughs> is, is find a stable place, a quote unquote stable place to live and have something that's ours. You know? And for, for your point of saying, you, know, you saw that the mortgage was 1600 bucks a month for the place you were looking at, but yet it was renting out for 2200 and that difference is what you saw, right? That $600 a month of really profit or passive cash flow, you know, which is incredible to me. And there's even a concept I'm hearing a lot now is, you know, rent your primary residence, but own other doors that are go own assets that are going to produce you more cash. Right. Exactly. That's what I do. I mean, I live here in Hawaii, invest where the numbers make sense and live where you want. And, uh, yeah. 4,500 rental units. I mean, I still rent. I actually have a feeling, I, have, I haven't really made a YouTube video on this yet, but I feel like you shouldn't buy a house. You, the price of your house that you live in should be no more than 50% of your net worth. So you shouldn't buy a $500,000 house unless your net worth is a million bucks. Wow. 50, yeah. 
How did, now, you, you said you're an engineer, right? And you went, obviously, you're, you're pretty decent at math. How did you come to that rule of thumb to where it's like your house should not be worth or cost any more than 50% of your net worth? I mean, this just, I mean, it is going to sound messed up to a lot of people, but if your net worth is under a million bucks, you can't be making bad decisions like buying a house to live in. Like buying a house is kind of like running your Ferrari with uh, your handbrakes on. It's just not a good financial decision. Um, and it, it's frustrating. And that's kind of what I do. Why I do my whole podcast is like, there's just so much bad financial advice. I right? go to school, put your money blindly in these retirement accounts, self-directed IRAs, Roths. You know, it's not what the wealthy do. Um, it, it's, and you know, they buy hard assets and then they have cash flow streams and they live off of that. That's, From that's those hard assets. Do. Yeah, they don't dump their cash into a hard asset just to live inside of it, not make money off of it. Right. That's right. incredible, man. You're, you're dropping value bombs already, man. Just a, a lot of mic drop moments with this. And it, where you said that, and that this, uh, I don't know if you saw my facial expression, but I was like, whoa. When you said if your net worth is under a million dollars, you should not be buying a home. Yeah. But let's, let's kind of step back a little bit. Like most people in this world should follow this financial advice from Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, you know, that don't go into debt, you know, because most people are really bad with their money, right? These are the people who just seem can't save any money. They just buy stupid stuff. And simplepassivecashflow.com myself, like I was a good saver, right? A lot of my folks, they max out their 401ks. If you're not like that, maybe you shouldn't be listening to me, right? In fact, if you're bad with your money, maybe you should go buy your house to live in because it ultimately becomes a forced savings account and you're financially immature and you need that, right? But if you are financially mature, able to save at least, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 plus a year, right? There's a different way of doing this, right? Buying rental properties, growing your net worth faster that way. So that's good. I think that's what we're kind of going to be kind of talking about that paradigm before we start to. You know, real estate, everybody thinks of real estate is like flipping houses, right? We don't do any of that stuff. That's all for like broke guys, flipping houses, wholesaling houses. That's, all, that's <laughs> all, all for, for guys. guys. <laughs> yeah, guys who don't make a good professional salary, right? And that's what you have to do when you don't have money. But you need to have money to invest in real estate to get on this escalator. And this is kind of the way to do it. Buying cash flowing properties that on a month to month basis, good or bad times, still makes a profit. Yeah. How did you start, man? How big was your first uh, multi-unit investment? Um, so I bought 11 rental single family homes to kind of get started, right? Like I, my first few are in Seattle, Washington, where we tell people do not buy properties in places like that. Do not buy properties in private markets like the whole freaking state of California, Seattle, Portland, Hawaii, New York, Boston, right? Because these places, you don't have what's called the rent to value ratio above 1%. This is critical, right? You need that rent to value ratio over 1%. How do you find the rent to value ratio? You go the monthly rent divided by the purchase price. So a lot of the places will have, you know, new investors, they'll buy a hundred thousand dollar house out in the Midwest, places like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock, Jacksonville, Florida, Huntsville, Alabama, places like that, right? You're going to find 1% or better properties. So a thousand dollars a month will be about a hundred thousand dollars or less. Right, you, you know, you take a place like California, you're gonna find a place in the ghetto, which you don't buy places in the ghetto. Period. That rents for you know that's four hundred grand, 
that runs for two thousand dollars, two thousand divided four hundred thousand dollars, half a percent. No bueno, that's not gonna work. So that's the first thing, right? Buy properties at one percent or higher. Wow, that's that's a good rule of thumb too, man. I'm still stuck on this. Hey, if you're sub one million dollars, you shouldn't be buying <laughs> a house, you know, as far as your net worth goes. That's um that's most of America, dude. Most of, most of the world probably. Yeah, man. I you mean, know, and but, that's that's what's what's keeping me stuck on that thing is that's pretty much everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's just like there's so much like financial dogma trying to get people to do the kind of the wrong things, right? Like National Realtors Association. Of course, they want everybody. Oh, of course, they do. yeah, that's what fence, fuels right? Um, I think George George Bush was the one back in the day when he was he they had this idea where everybody should own their house. We all saw how that worked out, right? Two thousand eight. That kind of led up to that. Um, and then you know, like it just also is like the four hundred one k and all these mutual fund products, like these retail products, are just there to make Wall Street rich. All these hidden fees. Um, like when I bought my first handful of properties, I was making like 20 to 30% return on my money every wow. year. Um, people don't believe me. Um, go to my, uh, I have a YouTube video where I do like a whiteboard exercise where we break down, you know, you're making money with appreciation, tax benefits, the cash flow, right? Which you mentioned. And then the fact that the tenant is paying down your mortgage for you. And that's the key differential between you pay down, you own your own house. You're the sucker who's paying your mortgage and getting the equity build up. But in these cases, you're having your tenant, hard sweat and tears, paying that for you. And that's how you're getting that higher return. And then I was like, well, how am I making like 20, 30% in a simple rental property? And only my stocks and mutual funds are making 8 to 10%. WTF, right? <laughs> and this is where I started to realize, <laughs> yeah. well, like, this is what the system wants, right? The system wants little good boys and girls to go to jobs, work for 50, 60 years, and give almost half of their money to Wall Street companies to pay for these big buildings and executive salaries. And ultimately they're making it off hardworking people's backs. For sure. I see you there with George Ross in the photo behind there. I met him at Harvard a few years ago. He's a funny guy. He's a really good <laughs> Yeah, Uncle uh Donald Trump's ex lawyer, right? Yep, you got it, man. He was like his his guy in all the deals that he did. I mean, it's it's another good example of what you're talking about. But when you're saying, you know, my mutual funds only made X amount, you know, eight percent or whatever, I'm making twenty to thirty percent of real estate. Can you uh th the different classes of assets, you know, like A, B, or C assets, can you break that down for everybody, please? Yeah, so class A are your new builds, your luxury, less than ten, fifteen years old. Right. I think this is what most people would like to own. But I'm telling you, it's not where the money is, not the sweet spot. The sweet spot is more of a B, C asset. So this is more your blue collar type of uh, housing. Maybe it's not where you guys would like to live. And maybe it's not the safest place to be at night. Right. These are not in the best school districts. Right. But this is where you're going to get the most rent to value ratio uh, and get the most return bang for your buck. Obviously, you don't want to, you want to stay out of the war zone, class D assets, right? Because these are just dangerous areas. You're going to have bad collections on rents and stay away from the high end. So you got to, there's a sweet spot in the middle. And this is where we kind of focus in on, we call workforce housing. 700 bucks to $1,400 a month, right? This is where the most of America's population is. This is where they need more of this housing, right? The lower middle class. It's a growing population. So you're really only talking about for somebody who's investing right away or just getting into this, you're really only talking like a seventy-five to $150,000 home. Yeah, in a lot of these places. 
Yeah, you're correct. We're under under $100,000. And yeah, hey guys, you guys need 20% down payment. So if you don't have 20 grand, you can't do this. You know, again, this is not for broke guys, but this is a get rich surely type of thing, not a get rich quick thing. For sure. Right on. Now, when you were first starting too, I mean, that, that's great. You know how you explain, I was going to ask, you know, what are the differences and why do they matter? You explained all that already. You do need the 20% to put down on these homes because they're investment properties. This isn't something like for those that are getting started to, you know, which are most that are listening right now, man, because it's a, a younger demographic. It's not something that you can do like an FHA on to get the mortgage on and then rent it out to where you have three and a half percent or 3%, whatever it is for FHA, you know, or do a, there's a, there's a new trend. Have you seen this now to where it's called a piggyback mortgage to allow individuals? It's the first and second mortgage from a primary lender that will get you down to 10% down payments from the same one. And you can get approved for the primary and the secondary mortgage immediately at the same time. It's something coming out of COVID. That's pretty interesting. Have you been keeping track of that? No, I don't care about that yeah. stuff these days. It's just no <laughs> Good answer. Like, like, just get twenty percent down payment. Yep. I mean, if you don't have that money, you probably shouldn't be doing this in the first place, guys. And it's uh, not a bad place to start either, because even if it's just seventy-five thousand dollars for this, that's like a what would you consider that a B or C class asset, something like that? Yeah, you just need twenty grand down payment, and you should have some cash, like extra five, ten grand cash reserves, just in case your tenant screws it up, which they will, right? But this is a business, but it's a passive business. Um, you know, we, we always employ third party property managers. They take 10% of the rents, but that's how you're able to scale. You don't want to be like the mom and pa landlord who goes in there and fix the plumbing themselves. You want professionals to do it and you want to pay third party professionals to fix it up. Should something go wrong? That's phenomenal, man. You're laying out a structure here already. I'm sure I'm assuming a lot of this is at simple cash, passive cashflow.com, simple passive cashflow.com. Yes, I love that. So, a, a lot of our clients are a little bit higher net worth, so they have the money to do this. But if your guys' um, listeners are a little younger, I don't do this. I don't advocate this, but they call it house hacking. So you, you know, you buy a duplex, you live on one side, then you can get the lower percent down payment, right? Five, ten percent, get an FHA loan. But I think that's ghetto. Like, who wants to live with your tenant? Yeah. <laughs> that's <kind of> my <laughs> you style, know right? Knocking on the door for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right on. Like, you know, yeah, you could go live outside on the streets and not pay rent, but I'm not going to do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Right? But that's another option. If people don't have that much money and they're just really trying to get on this escalator, try the house hack method, right? But for most people who are with a significant other, it ain't going to fly, right? You're not going to have your tenant <laughs> next door. It ain't going to happen. Let's be realistic, right? That's um, hilarious. <laughs> and, and if you can kind of get a sense, like I'm a personal finance blogger, right? But I'm very different from most personal finance bloggers who are telling you don't have your latte, right? Because it'll you, it'll equate fifty thousand dollars at the end of your lifetime. I, I'm kind of prescribed to the more fat fi lifestyle, right? Live within your means, but don't be you know don't don't spend too much time. Time is more valuable than money at some point. Very much so. Yep, for sure, my man. So you were talking a little bit about that you hate four hundred one ks, right? And I'm I'm kind of with you on that a little bit, and. For somebody who's investing in a 401k, because I even provide 401ks to my people, man, that work for me. And it's just because it's something that's there and it, it helps attract good employees as well as we're bringing them on board because it's just, it's something, right? Just like you were talking about buying a house as a savings account for a lot of people. 
And that makes sense because you can appreciate some value that's there and it makes sense. You know, I've moved a little bit of property in my life just as the primary residence before I finally realized, hey, maybe I want to rent my primary residence and then put everything else that I have, the free cash flow into something else that's an investment. And taking a look at those possibilities and in the 401ks, how much money does a typical American that you know put into a 401k every single month? Probably nothing, right? But out of my tribe, I mean, my guys are usually saving anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand dollars at the very least every year. So we're in a tenth, half a percent of the half percent of one percent, right? I, again, people who make less than fifty, sixty grand a year, less than twenty thousand dollars cash savings, should not go to simplepassivecashflow.com. They should not follow me. Right? You guys need to go and read how to save your money. Get your little envelopes together, right? Because that's what I did out of college, right? That's the base. That's the basics of personal finance, and you guys need to figure that out, right? But most people take their whole twenties to figure that out, right? And they're scrambling in their thirties and finally getting their s together in their forties. Yeah, it could be early twenties where you just want to work a second job, right? And you could, you know, if you've got a full time job that's paying your bills, you know, assuming you're not living at home still, then you could go get another job as a barista at Starbucks or something like that, put in another $15,000 a year just from doing a part time job. And then in a year, you pretty much have your down payment for one of these yeah, properties and get go live with your mom and dad and suck it up, get that extra $10,000 a year so you can go buy that rental and then you can get that in this escalator financial freedom. Yeah, that's phenomenal, man. Is that where you see a lot of your people starting? You know, or what level do they come to simplepassivecashflow.com? Are they do they already have funds aside? Yeah, people that come to Simple Passive Cashflow, you know, these guys are making sixty, seventy thousand dollars out of college in the professional jobs. And they're usually really good savers, right? Like, I mean, I used to do so much cheapo things, eating ramen, washing my car for rain. Like I was able to put away a lot of money. Um and for some people, it's, that's just how we're grown up, right? Like I, we go to restaurants if we went to restaurants, right? I don't get no soft drinks, right? <laughs> get no soft drinks. Get no soft drinks. I get some water with an ice if you're lucky. <laughs> that's you know? We're going to you Bogo Night for peep, for pizza, right? <laughs> that's what yeah, we're yeah. You better you better go eat up because we ain't gonna eat tomorrow. You're gonna intermittent fast. <laughs> next two mornings right <laughs> just no, but you have that down payment you're gonna yeah i mean fast. people yeah. look i mean most people aren't like that right but most of the people in my group like we were good at saving money right the key is like and i think what a lot of people realize is they wake up and they have like you know fifty thousand dollars hundred thousand dollars in their 401k and they kind of get the sense that there could be something better and there is something better right but unless you get that twenty thousand dollar down payment to go buy a house to rent it out or go into syndication deals and private placements you don't really get on that escalator, right? You're kind of locked in what I call retail investments. And this is the big problem I have with the 401ks. It's kind of like when you're in high school, right? You got the, the high school cafeteria, it's a bunch of garbage, right? And it's expensive too. I don't know, mine's was. But as soon as <laughs> you get here. that off-campus yep. off pass, you're out of there, right? You're getting Burger King, talk about better food, cheaper, Right. And this is outside of the cafeteria that is the 401k with all the fidelities, vanguards, it's a bunch of garbage, fee laden products. Right. It's investing for the clueless. Yeah. No kidding. We were talking a little bit before the show about crypto. Right. And that's the latest craze right now. You know, and, and I'm not saying that it's bad, but over time, I mean, there's been a lot of different investments that have come up over the past, we'll say 50 years. You know, all the latest trends and everything. And crypto could be different. You know, because uh, I've had a lot of crypto experts on the show. How do you feel about that compared to real estate? 
I like it, but for younger people, stick to the basics, right? And I kind of have three big rules for investing. First rule is that's the cash flow, right? Give off monthly stream of income. Crypto doesn't really do that. You know, gold doesn't really do that. Next, it has to be a hard asset. Now, you can make a argument that is a hard, it's a currency in a way, but it's not like real estate, right? Real estate's a, a, a diversified commodity of lumber, wood, land. Um, and then lastly, it's got to be leverageable, right? And yeah, there's a futures market for crypto, right? But I mean, real estate is one of those things where you get this government subsidized loans, right? Because the government still wants us to own houses. So no, nowhere else in this world, like in the United States, where you get these sweet Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, yeah, you still need 20% down payments, right? But, and then also the tax benefits too. I mean, that's, why would you not do real estate? And I think this is where, I think where I understand where people are, young people are coming from. Um, like the real estate is a little boring, right? You're not going to like get rich quick. It's kind of boring. Um, it took me like six, seven years to get up to 11 rental properties. And I was a really diligent saver. Um, but like, I mean, I, I get it. It's not, a lot of people just aren't into the whole waiting game. They want it now. And that's fine if you want to gap. I'm mean, just go to Vegas, put it all on black if you want to gap, right? But <laughs> if you, you want go. something, a sure thing that just happens to take a lot of time, then that's what cash flowing real estate is. Your first 11 f homes were single families, yeah? Right, right. And then I kind of went into like syndications and private placements. As I started to get around other accredited investors, higher net worth investors, and I started to realize that, you know, they'll go into these more country club deals where you go into a better asset bigger asset but the key is it's it's not retail right you got to know people who are doing this and there's less fees it's just better deals but unless you start off buying some rentals you're not going to get into those circles sure no doubt and the, that's how you got to 4500 plus doors too right. by getting those yeah when you're talking private placement you know just to break it down what does that mean for getting into those because it's investor i mean i know it's investors in order to get you to buy the larger properties and then they get a piece of the investment too right so the syndication deal i i kind of use the analogy of like a plane you know you have in the cockpit of the plane you have the general partners these are guys who source the deal they get all the investors together they operate the deal they send out the checks they do everything passive investors are people that come and coach right they pay their minimal investment they get on they go to sleep cash or checks Right. And passive investors like to do this and they diversified over dozens and dozens of these type of ventures. Um, and then the general partners and passive investors are aligned in the analogy. If the plane goes down, everybody goes down. Right. Of course, some, they could probably take their, uh, their, their parachute and dive out, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's next to impossible a little bit when you're talking about hard assets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. That makes a lot of sense too. I appreciate that. That's a good analogy, man. Cause I've known a lot of the, the syndicated deals that exist and I have a lot of friends who are in those, uh, those types of deals, but it's never been explained so clearly like that where it's like the, you have the investors and that's actually, it's not a bad scenario to get involved in. How do you feel about this, about, you know, a, a younger generation getting involved as one of those passive investors in those deals, because I'm assuming that your level you're playing at in those deals, you're the general partner level, right? You're the ones, right, that are, you're right. the one that's we're flying the, ones, the plane. We're the ones putting together. But what I will say for younger people, go out and buy a rental property so you actually know what the F you're looking at. Um, because anybody can put together a syndicated deal these days, right? You can just 
you can just go, go on Upwork, pay someone 20 bucks to make a really nice pitch deck, right? Everybody has a podcast these days, right? Everybody can make it seem like they have a lot of friends. Look at the, look at them back of me, right? I don't know. I mean, I may not know these people, right? No, but these people are from my group. We, go, we do a lot of field trips together. But I mean, like, if you, the biggest thing about going into syndication deals is knowing who you're working with, who to trust. How do you do that? Well, you need to develop a network around you of other high net worth passive investors to get referrals from. So which requires building real relationships with real people, which is not going to happen if you're just some newbie, right? So I always kind of recommend people going into their own deals first, getting a rental. So they understand it, right? And then so that actually they actually have a fighting chance to analyze what's on the pitch deck. And then at the same time, building their network of other high network passive investors to kind of build up a list of referrals. Oh, sure. You got to shake more hands, man. That's the only way that it works. Right on. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see people who are just getting into this make? Um, so I think most people will go into like house flipping, stuff like that, where it's predicated on appreciation. You know, buying low so high makes sense. But and if a recession comes, you're screwed. Right. With cash flow investing, recession comes, well, the price of the property will drop, but you are buying an income stream. Right. You're buying that monthly recurring revenue. So as long as you can keep it occupied, or maybe you have to drop the rents 50 bucks, right? To keep it occupied, but you're still holding on to the assets. You're still cash flowing. And that's the key. And that's why when you're a cash flow investor, it really doesn't matter what the economy does up and down. Right. It's always good time to be buying. It's interesting too, because when when the economy fluctuates, I've seen this in the past, and I'd love your take on this too. That typically, when you see house values drop a bit, it's almost like rents go the opposite direction; they tend to go up. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's one thing that doesn't drop, typically it's rents. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because not it's saying still it can't happen, but yeah. It still costs what it costs to live someplace. That's that's just the thing. But it, it's awesome because you're insulating yourself in this. When you're buying something that produces passive cash, you're buying an asset. You're using cash to buy an asset that produces cash. That's really what it comes down to. And I, I love it because even though, like you said, the house value can drop, what does it matter? Because you still have the same payment on the debt load that you have that hasn't changed even though the house value dropped and you still have rent coming in. you still have the same amount of passive income coming in so you're still in the same financial position that you were before the house value dropped exactly exactly dude that's phenomenal you know during the covid 19 pandemic have your views of real estate changed at all with everything dropping and just fluctuating so much not really i mean i don't i mean we're cash flow guys so i mean the only thing that happened to the pandemic is maybe collections kind of became a little bit of issue. So like normally we collect 97% of the rents across the portfolio. You're always going to have a few deadbeats out of 100 and not pay. But um, you know, maybe in the worst of COVID, it dropped to the mid 90s. But, you know, That's a lot of times if we, if we can stay above 60 something percent on average, we're still making money. So yeah, we're you, good. Only, you only dropped to mid 90s, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. It's kind of the same scenario because in cybersecurity, which is my primary line of work, man, and everybody still, they really pay two things, right? 
they pay the rent for their office space and business because they need a place to operate business if that's still their thing. You know, that might have changed a bit after last year because there's more remote workers work from home and all that. But the second thing they always pay is the rental on their computer systems, you know, or, or the people that actually keep them running <laughs> because they just can't. Because we did not see anything drop from our collections perspective that much at all either because it just people need a place to live and from a business perspective they need computers to be able to do their work it's just the two things that are just constant man i love that right you know and i think i think one notable thing with that is like i think there were a lot of headlines right oh my god people aren't paying their rents you know you're gonna free rent hashtag that like man like that's why we don't invest in blue states not to say anything politically. Wow. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, we won't we won't buy places in California. Period. Uh, we're we're in like Texas, Arizona, uh, Alabama, the Florida, right? Places like that, red states. And I don't know. People just seem to have more honor out there. If you can't pay, you can't stay. I mean, that's we invest in places with good landlord laws on our side. Yeah, man, that's phenomenal. Has has your mindset in investing changed at all? And how has it changed since you started this whole gig and to the point to where you're at now? It is a no brainer, this stuff. Your returns are higher. It is a more recession proof asset. Why would you not do it? And it's made me get more frustrated. What's the normal financial advice out there that is just confusing, right? I mean, they make it so complicated, like all these stocks and pitch of funds. And it really isn't, but they make it like it is just to confuse the hell out of you so you can go into their mutual fund. <laughs> but really, once you, once, once, they're just leading a bunch of cattle down into the, the slaughterhouse, essentially. Right? And that's why, that's why it frustrates me so much. There's so many hardworking professionals out there. And these are the people in the shrinking middle class that are paying their more fair share of taxes and working for 40, 50, 60 years. Well, most people, if you if they if they're able to save maybe thirty, fifty grand a year, they can be financially free in ten years by doing it this way. Dang, just ten years. Of, of course, like not everybody can do that because we would get our coffee, right? We would build our bridges. We would like create our infrastructure for internets, right? Like society would crumble if everybody did that. You were talking about red states a bit. How do you feel about midwestern states? Because there's a lot of states that are typically red in the Midwest. You know, let's say the, the Dakotas, you know, Oklahoma, I know you mentioned Texas, but a lot of the states that you mentioned are kind of coastal states. What about central country? Uh, more more in the sun, sun Belt is kind of where the population growth is happening. So more in that southern. I like the, I have some properties in like Des Moines and up there. But typically the trend is going out to the south, the southern temperatures. Uh, that's kind of the trend. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. It's good. The rent to value ratios work out there, Kansas City, Iowa, right? Minnesota. But, and I think you're going to have good landlord friendly laws generally out there because they are more red states. But population growth is just stronger in those other states to the south. I'm tracking with you. That's a factor that you look for then. Yeah. Cause there's not a lot. I mean, even though Illinois, you know, cause I live outside of Chicago, you know, it's a, it's a blue state, but still at the same time, there's so many people that are just exiting the state. Yeah, Illinois is, yeah, that place is going pretty black. I know, yeah, (laughs) it sure is. They're actually like, like, I like Gary, Indiana, 
just for the reason everybody's getting the heck out of Chicago. Yeah, right on, man. That's a great, that's been, you know, that's probably more like a C or D class asset of, I'm sure you've looked at that area, you know. No, no, I mean, it's, you know, there's A, B, C's in every single state, everywhere, right? And the key, I mean, it's not that, like, D classes are like ghettos. That's what we define them as. I wouldn't be out there even in the daytime, right? After 4 p.m., I'm out of there. I'm not even hanging out. We don't buy places and places like that, but every market has generally ABC, right? The key is just to finding where those good pockets and areas are. That's awesome, my man. So you've got 4,500 doors right now. What's your next moves, brother? Just keep doing the same old, same old, just boring investing, right? Boring. Finding something <laughs> that like cash flows day one. We um, go in with a light value add strategy. So we normally put four to six grand of uh, upgrades into every unit. So new flooring, new appliances. Uh, new paint job, maybe some new playground equipment, but we're not, you know, tearing down houses, you know, not, we're not like dramatic HDTV type of stuff, right? We're putting in prudent improvements to bump the rents of 100, 150 bucks. That's our game plan. That's awesome. How long do you hold on to these for typically? I'm in like three to seven years. Um, and that's where there's multiple exit strategies, right? If somebody wants to pay a stupid price, we'll sell. But ideally, we want to refinance people's money back out. So it's tax free that way. And just keep holding and maybe do some more refinances, right? That's where you get the infinite return strategy. No doubt, my man. That makes a lot of sense. Have you seen more demand too with between single family homes or multi-unit homes? You know, apartment styles over the last couple of months or a year? Generally the like the long-term trend is going to apartments because people just can't afford single family homes, period. I mean, look at the population is growing. There's more immigrants jobs aren't really increasing um and it's a maybe maybe overall the salaries are improving but i think it's i think if we all kind of look closely it's very binary right your high-end stuff are getting better your your blood of america is getting worse right like i mean look at this last pandemic most of the white collar professionals are totally unscathed and actually lives improved their their bank accounts are even bigger yeah, their commuting costs went down, man. A lot of their a lot of their daily expenses that they've had are just gone now. Right, they couldn't go on vacations. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, they couldn't spend like their five thousand dollar tickets to go to the football games. Right, like there, it's a we live in a it's the the divergence of middle class America. Right, there's just things kind of separate the haves and the have nots. The gap is getting bigger. Right on, that's incredible, man. Brother, I appreciate you because I think you've given people a lot of good places to start and where to go from there. And uh, for anybody that's there, if you got $20,000, <laughs> go to, go to simplepassivecashflow.com. And if you don't have $20,000, take what Lane's saying and just live with your mom, live with your dad for the next year. So. <laughs> you said that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know we, we might have to play that back or something. But no, do, do whatever you can. You know, Suck it up for the next year or so and then you can do your first property and then you've got passive passive cash flow that just is going to rock it you know and it took you you said what six to seven years to get to 11 properties something like that this isn't an overnight thing it's not a get rich quick thing but do what lane does simplepassivecashflow.com lane thanks for being on my man yeah thanks for having me what's shaking thank you for joining me on the all-in podcast click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications text me 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode.
I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.